everyone. So this morning we had a great uh, volunteer appreciation breakfast, and I appreciate everyone who cooked. We uh, have a lot of happy people full of eggs and sausage and pancakes and everything else. So uh, hopefully you won't be dozing off during the service. If you will, I'll uh, <clears throat> just, you know, just cough a little bit. So uh, we're going to be in Ephesians. If you'll go ahead and turn there. Those of you just joining us, we're, we've been going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. And um, today's message, just by a little preview, we're going to talk about the old you and the new you. And how the old you is supposed to be the dead you, but somehow the old you keeps coming back. And how the new you is the new life in Christ. The old you is who you were before you came to Christ. And the new you is you after you came to Christ. So we're going to talk about that. But before we jump in, I just wanted to share a few thoughts of uh, my weekend. Um, I wish I could take you guys with me. I went to a water park, and it was the Great Wilderness Lodge, and we had a really good time. There's my kids all in their life jackets ready to jump in, and we were able to go to uh, the arcade. That's Lincoln. He's six months, and he can't swim yet, but he can sure float in a chair, so that was fun. And... Um, that's Noel and Kira. They call themselves the, I think, Sunshine Sisters or Rainbow Sisters or something. They're, uh, they, they had a good time. They, they were the life of the party there. And um, so anyways, we had a good family Friday, got away and spent the night. And um, so that was the good side of the story, the story that most people don't tell. You know, when someone asks your trip, how was it? You say the good side. Well, you guys want to hear the other side? Well, um, <laughs> someone said, yep. So you can imagine uh, four children, five and under, packed into one hotel room. So there were two beds, and we had two pack-and-plays erected. And uh, so we, we try, the kids' bedtime is normally pretty early, that we usually try to have them all in bed by 7.30 or 8. So we're starting the bedtime process. And we had one two-year-old that n- did not want to sleep. He's standing up in his pack-and-play and making noises and will not lay down. We have two girls that are talkative, they're so excited, can't wait what's going to happen tomorrow, and they're chitty-chatting, and even though it's lights out and quiet, it's hard to get everyone quiet. And then we have a little six-month-old that we're trying to keep asleep, and we're worried there's no way he's going to stay asleep. So at, once we finally get everyone settled down, the phone rings at 9 o'clock at night, and it's the front desk, and they're trying to sell us something. I'm like... Okay, so, you know, this is not the time for a sales call. You know, we may want room service, probably not, but 9 o'clock at night. Do you not realize we have kids in bed right now? So finally, we got through that, and um, out of nowhere, my phone rings at 10.30 at night from a block caller. And I'm like, who's calling at 10.30 at night? So the, the whole family, I'm like, I'm trying to scramble to keep everyone asleep or halfway asleep. And then at 5-something in the morning, I hear this alarm going off, and I'm like, Lori, it's not my phone. It's got to be your phone. It's not my phone. So I'm running through the whole hotel room, pitch black, trying to find the device that's going off. And sure enough, it's an iPad that somebody had set at five-something in the morning. And so we got up, and um, so I'm having a battle. The old me is like, let's just go home. I mean, this has been, we had a good fun day. We got the, they, they saw the water, they swam. Really, the only two that will remember are two girls. The boys will not remember this trip. We should just go home, cut our losses. Sorry, kids. Uh, we can run through the sprinkler at the house. You know, who knows? Um, the old me was a little grouchy, didn't get a lot of sleep, was stressed. 
But then I saw this battle of the new me, something inside of me said, Timothy, you know, you're you need to be the dad and you need to get breakfast for the family. You need to, you know, try to rally the troops, maybe even say a prayer, maybe even read a few scriptures. So I had this battle, the old me and the new me. And uh, thankfully, the, the old me, I felt struggle. But by God's grace, we got breakfast. We got the kids out the door and we had a really good time the second day. But do you guys ever have that battle, the old you and the new you, and you're just sitting there and it's tension and don't look at the person next to you. You're like, yeah, this morning, actually. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to talk about the mystery of the Bible calls the old man and the new man. And we're going to talk about what that means and what that looks like and why there is a battle. So um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter four, if you'll read along with me, starting in verse 17. It says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And it says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, it doesn't sound like a very good old you, does it? Who being past filling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Does that sound like anybody you work with? All right, number verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus. Now, here's what Paul's asking us to do. That you put off, someone say put off. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on, someone say put on. So you put off the old man, you put on the new man, which was created according in God in true righteousness and holiness. If you will pray with me. Father, this is an interesting text talking about the old man and the new man. Help us to understand what message you're trying to get to us today. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Father, help us to make application of our old lives and our new lives and what truth we can get out of this. And Father, if there be someone here that is just the old self, they've never had a new birth and they don't have the new person that's emerged, we pray that today would be their day of salvation. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll take out your listening guides, we have a lot of material to cover in these verses so you can follow along with me. But we're going to talk about the two people in this text. The old you, that's your old lifestyle before Christ. And the new you is your new life. So first point is this. The old you wasn't the best you. Can I get a uh-huh? It wasn't the best you. So as I read this, I want you to notice the text. It's going to get like, ouch, this hurts. But then it's going to end very positive. So uh, it's just like our Wednesday night study. We've been going through the book of Genesis. And I told the people, we spent two weeks on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said, you know, this is really heavy. But last week we did a whole lesson on laughter. So the Bible's really balanced. And if it seems really heavy, just hang in because it gives hope and encouragement. Because the gospel is called what? Good news. So it's not just bad news, it's actually good news. And if you'll stick with it, you'll be encouraged. So verse 17, it says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So let's look at your life before Christ. This is talking about the way of the world. The first thing is this. You and I live just like the rest of the world. It says we walked like the Gentiles did. And that expression means basically you went along with your instincts. 
sight, touch, smell, whatever you felt like doing, you went with it. It's kind of like a lot of modern songs. If it feels good, it can't be that bad, right? Wrong. That's the way of the world. They said, if it feels good, just go with your heart. The problem is, is your heart definitely leads you astray before you have the new heart. You also struggled with stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. It's bad grammar, but good theology. You struggled with stinking thinking. It says the fertility of your mind. In other words, your mind was really futile thoughts. You thought about things that didn't really matter. You try to keep up with the Joneses. You try to outdo your next door neighbor. You try to have the nicest stuff. But at the end of the day, you felt empty. Your mind went after things and thought after things that really had no eternal value. And, you know, with that, it, it brings up the need for divine, revela- divine revelation, that the world is just going through the motions. And that's all they know is going through the motions because they don't have the new birth. But what God asks us to do is to have a new birth. And the way we experience this is through divine revelation, meaning that God comes to you. He reveals his truth to you. And we get divine revelation found in the Bible. It's the word of God. And also, as we hang out with the people of God, hopefully the word of God in Christ in them rubs off on us. So hanging out with the people of God and studying the word of God is really what brings that enlightenment in their lives. Not only that, but you saw the world through broken lenses. You saw the world through broken lenses. Look in the text. It says your understanding was darkened. Wouldn't it be sad if you saw the world and your view was completely wrong? You ever heard the statement, perception is reality? Well, what about if your perception is the false reality? And that's the way of the world. They think the way they see is right, but it's a false reality. Perception may seem reality, but if it's a false reality, it's not God's reality. And the only reality that really matters is God. You were far from God and didn't experience true life. Notice this as being alienated from the life of God. Now, the thing about God is he wants to give us life and it more abundantly. Jesus came so that you could have life. And the thing about the people, the world, and this this is where we were. So, you know, before we get our chest all puffs up, this is us before Christ. Is how many people do you know that live for the weekend? So many people in the workforce, they said, I can't wait for Friday. I'm living for the weekend. And that means different things. Sometimes it's a good thing, rest, right? But sometimes it's, I'm living for the next party, I'm living for the next high, because my life is really not satisfying, so I can't wait for the weekend, right? And for those of you who want rest, that's a good thing, so don't get me wrong. I'm talking about you're living just for the next high. So the whole purpose of your job is to make enough money to enjoy the weekend. And it's like, you read the text, it says they were far from the life of God. They had life, but it wasn't real life, it wasn't lasting life. The next thing, and this is ouch, is you thought you were smart, but you weren't seeing the full picture. Notice the next phrase. It says, because the ignorance that is in them. Now, none of us want to admit that we were ignorant at one time in life. None of us do. But that was the old you apart from Christ. You thought that you were seeing the, the world clearly, but the Bible says it was really ignorance. Because if you really knew the truth, you would be walking in the truth and with the truth. And Christ is the truth. Amen. You had an empty, hard, and aching heart. The next phrase says, because the blindness of your heart. Can you imagine people trying to just go with their feelings and their emotions, but yet their heart was blind? The Bible talks about the heart having, in a metaphorical sense, eyes of your heart. Can you imagine your heart being blind? 
You think that you're experiencing love, but it's not true love. You think that you're experiencing life, but it's not true life. This is how we all were before Christ. And some of us have been saved so long, it's hard to remember how we were. The next thing is your moral compass was broken. Notice this says being past filling. Do you know anybody at your workplace that nothing seems to phase them anymore? Their conscience seems numb. Um, someone could get really upset at them. It doesn't bother them anymore. Paul calls that past feeling. Their feelings no longer are active anymore. They're living, but they're not really alive. And that, that's sad. And you're like, how do people get there? Well, it's, it's a slow fade to get there. But that's living life apart from Christ. You and I, we did unthinkable things to try, things, to try to feel alive inside because we felt so dead inside. In the text, it talks about lewdness and uncleanness and greediness. And uh, church, can we talk for a moment? For those of you who work in secular jobs in the marketplace, you guys experience this on a daily basis. Can I get a uh-huh? How many greedy people do you know in the marketplace? Always wanting more money, more power, more prestige, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to climb up that ladder, right? How many of you know people that tell dirty jokes in the workplace? You're like, man, just the other day, you know, and it's like this is the world apart from Christ. But, you know, if, if we can realize many of them, they know better, but they can't do better if they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So the solution is not moralism. The solution is not rules and regulations. The solution is a heart change. And if they have a heart change, then their life will completely change. Amen. Ephesians 2, just to back up a little bit, if you have your Bibles open, you can flip back a few chapters. It gives really a commentary of this very thing. It says, you he made alive who were what? Dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now listen to the next verse. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And basically, you could summarize Paul's words into five Ds, that before Christ, we were disobedient, we were directionless, we were dead, we were living in depravity, and we were walking towards doom. I mean, that's a very bleak picture, right? But there is hope, and we're going to get there, so hang with me. How many of you remember the famous boxer George Foreman? Some of you who are youngest before your times, but uh, okay. How many of you have never heard of George Foreman? Any of you ever heard of the George Foreman grill? Most of you have heard of the grill. Okay. So this is George Foreman. Back before I was born, he was the heavyweight champion of the world. And something happened in, it was 1977, he fighted Jimmy Young and he lost. And some of you remember that fight. And according to George's own story of recollecting what happened, he said he felt good, and then somehow in the locker room, he felt like he was dying. He felt like he was having a near-death experience, but he was aware of something spiritually happening. And somehow he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus reached out to him and said, basically, I don't want your money, I want you. And he's like, this has to be God, because everyone's after my money at that time, because he was a multimillionaire, and everyone's trying to get money from him, and people were cheating him. And I want to read you a quote from what he said in his life. He said he was battling. And all of a sudden, he responded to Christ. Instead of dying physically, 
he was reborn spiritually. And he, he finally yelled out through this whole battle, Jesus Christ is coming alive inside of me. And people thought he had gone crazy, like George just lost the fight, he, he's losing himself. But then Jesus just helped him regain his physical strength, he didn't die. And he went around the locker room kissing people, hugging people. They're like, this guy's lost it. So they rushed, rushed him to the emergency room. And I'm sure he was hooked up to IVs and all this. And he decided at that point to retire. And instead of being the heavyweight champion of the world, he was going to work with inner city kids. And he started a ministry in Houston to underprivileged children that needed really a male role model. And uh, he became a pastor. So he went from this bad bully that wanted to beat people up to become a pastor. So along the way, his, his uh, home for boys and girls, it was called the George Foreman Youth and Community Center, kind of like what we have, Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club. His, his place for the youth was struggling financially. And the only way George knew how to make money was what? Boxing. So to everyone's surprise and being the joke of all of the sports world, he decided to come out of retirement. So at the time, George Foreman weighed a hefty 315 pounds. I mean, he had been eating probably the burgers he had been selling from the George Foreman Grill. I don't know. But he was he needed to lose some weight. So he worked out, and he lost 65 pounds. So he was at his boxing weight, 250 pounds. And everyone thought this guy was has been. There's no way this middle-aged man is going to come back from retirement. And he, he trained himself, and he fought for the kids. And many years later, after retirement, this is November 5th, 1994, he fought Michael Moore. In 10 rounds, he won the heavyweight championship of the world again so that he could provide the money for the children. And to, to this day, he's still preaching the word and ministering to these kids down in Houston. So I, I think George is a good illustration of the old you before Christ. He was fighting probably like most people were for money, fame, prestige, and then all of a sudden, Jesus got a hold of his heart, and now his world was different. He no longer was living for himself. He was living for others. Amen? All right, you, how many of you are ready for the good news of the message now? You're like, all right, point one was hard. Move on, Timothy. All right, number two, the new you is becoming the best you. The new you is becoming the best you. Let me read verses 20 and following. It says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him, as of the truth, as in Jesus, that you put off, someone say put off, concerning your, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on, someone say put on, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's, let me give you the theological tension that a lot of Bible scholars struggle with is in other, others of Paul's writings, such as Romans 6, he says the old man is dead. The old man was crucified with Christ. So if the old man is dead, why is Paul now saying put him off? Like, which is true? Is he dead or are you to take him off? Or what's the struggle? And some people believe that after you become a Christian, you just have the new nature and you don't have the sinful nature. You just occasionally struggle with sin. And others think you have two natures, the old and new, which is true. Well, there's, there's interpretations on both sides, but my personal view is that whenever you get saved, you have a new nature, but you still have the old man. And the old man, you're to reckon dead, the Bible says, but how many of you know the old nature, can, if you let him come back, he's like dead, but he keeps coming back. 
So the way I view it is positionally, it's true. Positionally, you are in Christ and you are loved. It's kind of like Paul in Colossians says, you're pure, blameless and without fault. Now, how many of us are without fault? Well, in God's sight, we are. But practically, that's another story. So the whole thing of Scripture, you've got to ask yourself, what view is God? What view is the author coming from? Is it God's view looking at me or is it my view, my day to day reality? So let me give you another parallel. Paul, at the end of his life in Timothy, said, I'm the chief of what? Well, Paul, you said another place that you're in Christ, you're pure, blameless, without fault. How, how are you that and how are you the worst sinner there is? Well, it depends on your standpoint. From God's perspective, in Christ, I'm forgiven. But in my day to day reality, I'm becoming practically what I am positionally. So hopefully that helps clear up some confusion of people like, well, I thought you only had one nature. Well, how do you still sin? Well, and, you know, and it becomes a dialogue. So I believe what Paul's saying in this text, notice he says, put off your former way of life. It's not to say that you don't have a new nature. You do positionally from God's standpoint. Another passage, he says, we're seated in the heavenly realms. I don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm on earth. But from God's standpoint, we're, we're with Christ. But your day-to-day reality that's going to become a reality. So a lot of the Christian life is becoming every day practically what you already are positionally. And that's what the old school Bible word that we don't use in church a lot is sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. So let's, let's break this down and talk about this. Um, something happened. A divine exchange occurred whenever you received Christ. The old you was exchanged for the new you. Now, it doesn't mean you can't struggle with the old man. It doesn't mean the old man can't raise his, his head. But what it means is that day to day, Jesus has made this a reality. The old man is dead. Now I'm to live as though he is dead. And the challenge is, is like whichever nature you feed is going to be the one that dominates. So let's go back to my original story at the hotel. Had I not had some time with God that week or that day, which do you think would have dominated, the old man or the new man? And the old man is basically who I was before Christ. Now, that doesn't carry over into the new life, but we still struggle with sin. So it's kind of a paradox. I am the new man, but the old man, he just seems to keep knocking on my door. I don't know about yours, but it's like you're dead. Get back in the grave. But you're to, you're to live this out in a day-to-day life. You see how the tension is there in the text. Like you're to reckon him dead, but you're still to put him off. Maybe that's why Paul said, I die daily. Because this guy keeps coming back. I mean, you're dead. Stay back. So you are a new creation in Christ. If you're taking notes, write down Ephesians 2.15. Ephesians 2.15 that we studied a couple months ago now. um, It talks about we have this new humanity. Jew and Gentile come together for a new creation in Christ. Did you realize that your first humanity was inherited by Adam? But your new humanity is inherited by Christ? Did you know the church is a new creation? You are part of a new humanity. It's a new way to be human. And that changes the way you live. Like, okay, how many of us still struggle with the nature we inherited from Adam? Okay, I get that. But you're part of a new humanity. You're part of a new creation in Christ. And now you're to live this out. My wife was mentioning this verse to me this morning. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Paul says in another place, This I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not what? gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. So the secret of the Christian life, if you want the old man to reckon him dead, you need to walk it out in the spirit. And that, that's a day-by-day thing. Um, 
Another way to illustrate this is none of us live um, long enough to think about this time, but we studied it in history. So um, the illustration, we have to think back through history. But Abraham Lincoln, whenever he officially declared that slaves were free, were they free? Absolutely. They were, they were declared free. Many of them were set free. But according to history, many of the slaves reverted back to their old ways of living. And even though they were free as a declaration from the president, in their everyday life, many of them had forgotten that they were free because they had only learned to think like a slave. So I think the parallel is we are free in Christ, and he has declared, you know, Romans 6, the old man, you're to consider him dead because whenever Christ died, the old man died. So you're to, in your day-to-day life, you're to consider him dead. You're to live as though this is the present reality. A few things happen Whenever you became a new person, a few things happened. This is on your outline. The first thing is this. Truth came to the rescue. You exchange the lie for the truth. Notice it says you were taught the truth in Christ. Aren't you glad that truth is the thing that sets us free? You know, it's not good intentions. It's not people that you think are nice. It's people who tell you the truth in love. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And my heart as your pastor is I always want to tell it in love, but I want to tell the truth. I don't want to ever water it down. I don't want to ever be politically correct or say, well, the Bible says this, but I just want to present it as it's meant to be presented because that's the only thing that's going to set you free. Amen. The second thing that happened is you got an amazing new life. You said goodbye to your old meaningless way of life and you said good. You said hello to your new life. Um, it's the put off, put on scenario of the Bible. And this is something that I think it's good to learn even as new Christians and as mature Christians that whenever you stop doing something, unless you replace it with a positive alternative, it's easy for that old lifestyle to come back. And many of us have seen that. Someone that quits, quits becoming alcoholic and they don't replace it with something positive and they pick up another habit. Many of you have seen that. They stop something but they don't replace it. So Paul's scenario, and we'll talk about this next week, is you need to put off, but you need to replace it with a positive alternative. So um, the next passage we're going to talk about, he says, instead of lying, become a truth teller. Instead of stealing, become someone who gives. So you need to put off and then replace it with the alternative. The third thing that happens is you have an attitude adjustment. You ever met anybody that needed an attitude adjustment? Um, Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, what does he say, the spirit of your mind? What is that? He's talking about your attitude. And for the Christian, the battleground is in your mind. And if you don't allow bad things to overtake you, you begin to replace it with good things. And it's like this. Whatever you put in your mind, it affects your emotions. And your emotions affect how you feel, and your feeling affects your behavior oftentimes. So what Paul talks about in other places is Romans 12:2. you need to renew your mind. Because if you don't renew your mind, you're going to struggle. How many of us still struggle with stinking thinking today? How many of us still struggle with negative attitudes? Do you ever see the, any verse in the Bible that tells you it's okay to have a bad attitude? I, I haven't seen it yet. There is one. So Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The fourth thing that happens is you're given a new character. Notice it says, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
it's something amazing that happens that whenever you become a believer, the old you is exchanged for the new you. And because of that, you're to live as though you're a new person. You're not to live the old lifestyle. And as I, as I said, the old man represents your life before Christ. The new man represents your life since you become a new creation. So what Paul's encouraging us here is, you know what you used to be. Don't be like that anymore because you're a different person. You are a new creation in Christ. It's kind of like a butterfly that whenever um, a caterpillar goes through the process of metamorphosis, you know, you can't really become the caterpillar again. You're a butterfly. But, you know, butterflies can still walk around in the dust and eat the dirt. And the same is true for us. You have gone through a metamorphosis. You're a butterfly. So don't act like the caterpillar anymore, crawling around eating the dirt because you're a new creation in Christ. Amen. If you look at your outline, if, if you guys uh, need some encouragement, this comes from Lewis Sperry Schaefer in a systematic theology. I'm not going to ask you to read that systematic theology, but I'm going to give you the summary of it. Um, 33 things that happen when you become a, a new creation. And this will encourage you. I don't have time to go into all of them. But notice on your chart, you are forgiven. You become a child of God. You have access to God. You're reconciled. You're justified, you're in Christ, you're acceptable to God, you have a heavenly citizenship, you're of the family and household of God, a heavenly association, you're within the much more care of God, glorified, see that's past tense, but it's a future reality, it's coming. You're in the saints of, you're in the fellowship of saints, you're on the rock, Jesus Christ, you're part of God's eternal plan, you're redeemed. A living relationship with God occurs. You're free from the law. Someone say amen. You're adopted. You're brought near to God. You're delivered from the power of darkness. You're, you have an entrance into a new kingdom. A gift from God, the Father, to Jesus Christ. You're circumcised in Christ. That means you have a new nature. You're members of a royal and holy priesthood. Did you guys realize you're part of a priesthood? I, I talked to the Wednesday night crowd and I said, you know... Um, one of my mentors and I were talking the other day. He said, Timothy, you know, he asked me about how the church was going. I was like, you know, it was growing. God's blessing. He's like, did you realize that, let's say if you have 125, 150, whatever shows up on a Sunday, you have that many churches. So today present, there may be 125 churches in the room. This is the assembly of the gathered churches. Have you ever thought about that? Because your body is the temple of God and you function as part of the priesthood of God. That changes the way you think about yourself, right? Um, you're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Some of us are more peculiar than others, right? <laughs> His inheritance, the inheritance of the saints, light in the Lord, were united to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blessed with the first fruits of the Spirit, we're complete in Him, and we possess every spiritual blessing. Can I get an uh-huh? As I told you, it would get encouraging. Hang with me. The Bible has a good balance. I want to close with a story about David and Carol. They were a uh, young couple that had gotten married, and they were illiterate. They couldn't read, and they had gotten involved in a church and accepted Christ, was baptized. And the church they went to, I believe it was like the Salvation Army where everyone wears this, the same vest or shirt. You know, a lot of the men have the shirts that have emblems on it. And uh, the couple didn't know what the emblems meant because, uh, you know, they, they couldn't read. So uh, Dave went home to his wife, Carol, and said, you know, I really want one of those shirts like those men wear in Bible study. 
And they have all these emblems on it. And can you come up with something? So Carol's like, sure, honey. So she made him this shirt that matched all the other guys. And uh, she couldn't read, so she didn't know what she'd put on the emblems on the shirt. They had little patches. So she looked across the street, and there was a store sign, and it had this sign. It said, under new management. So she's like, okay. So she signed on a store. It must be good. So she put that patch on his shirt, under new management. So whenever Dave went to the next Bible study at church, all the men were looking at the sign and like, praise God. And they were really encouraging him. And his, his sign didn't match the other signs that they had um, for the Salvation Army, but it was something that they said, that, that's the coolest thing I ever saw. So Dave went home to Carol and said, man, I don't know what you wrote on my shirt, but everybody loves it. Everyone, and she, they finally realized it said under new management. And, you know, the story illustrates this. The old you was under a bad management. I mean, it wasn't just managed by you, but the Bible says if, if you're not a child of God, you're led by the enemy, by the devil himself. You're a child of Satan. And none of us like to say that's true, but that, that's what the Bible says. But whenever God comes in, you become a child of God, and you're under new management. So why do we really want to live like we're under the old management? When spiritually there's a sign that says you're under new management. It's the new you. So somebody say, out with the old man, in with the new man. All right, your take-home truth. And I know today was a lot of heavy material in the Bible, so I want to summarize it very simply. Your life should be radically different now that you're a brand new you who is becoming the best you. You're not just a human being, you're human becoming. You're becoming more and more like Christ. So it's kind of the, the take-home challenge is I really want to encourage you to be the best you, is to get connected to community. And we're challenging the whole church. If you're not regular, the next six weeks, get plugged into worship service. Come join us. If you can't make it on Sunday, we have it on Wednesday. And if you're not in a life group, a Sunday school, or a study, we want to encourage you to, for the next six weeks to get plugged in. And for those of you who say, well, Timothy, I sleep in or whatever, it's okay. We have a 1.30 life group. We have a Saturday night life group. We have different options available if Sunday's not the best time for you. Because life was meant to be lived in community. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I know your word is true. And sometimes it doesn't feel the best when we say the old me was this. Like, wow, I didn't realize that was that bad. But God, we, we agree with your word. Um, and we may not have realized that was what was going on spiritually. But now that we are people of the truth, help us to live by it, Lord. Help us to realize that you called us to be brand new people. And right now, with knowing and looking around, would there be someone that would say, Timothy, you know, I'm a believer, but you talked about the old man, and the Bible says he was crucified with Christ, but yet it still seems like he comes knocking on my door. And I want to live out the reality of who I am in Christ to say the old man, sin no longer has dominion over me. I want to start feeding the, the new man, my spiritual side, not my former life before Christ, but I want to live as the new creation of Christ. So pray for me. If there's anything in your life that you need that, um, just say a prayer in your life to say, Jesus, I've struggled so much with it may be a temper, whatever it is, you fill in the blank that, that symbolizes the old you. But Jesus, I pray that I would live out 
my new life in Christ. The old life is gone and the new life has come. So help there not to be carryover. Help me not to live like the old me. Because sin shall not be my master because I'm under grace. I'm under new management now. And with everyone still praying, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you talked about the old man and new man. And truthfully, I've never had a born again experience. I've never truly surrendered my life to Christ. I've never had God move inside of me. And if that's you today, the Bible says you just simply have to open up your heart to God. Ask him to forgive you and turn your life completely over to him. And there will be a new sign on your heart saying under new management spiritually. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone that would say, Timothy, I need to give my life and heart to Christ. If that's you, just right where you're at, just say a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I give my life and heart to you. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. And Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to come into my life. I want you to make me a new person. I want to be under new management. We thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen.